0: Bibles, go ahead and open to First Peter chapter number 2, First Peter chapter number 2. We've been studying this letter now for quite a few weeks and we are going through it uh, trying to bring out principles and truths that will help us to live a life uh, full of hope, a life that reflects hope. And of course this letter focuses on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it focuses on The fact that our hope uh, isn't uh, a hope that maybe will come to pass or maybe will happen, but rather a hope that is a living hope, a sure hope, a a hope of a future glory, of eternal life and unrestrained joy. It is a, a hope that not only we can believe in, but a hope that we can build upon in our life. And we've been studying through chapter one. We went verse by verse learning about what that hope is and learning how that affects us, how we are to live holy lives because of this hope. We learned about building upon our hope in chapter two and and the importance of that and, and realizing that Christ is the foundation of our hope. He is the cornerstone upon which we begin to build our lives and we we build lives that a uh, model Jesus Christ. We 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 build upon that hope a life that is honorable and holy before God. Now, last week we jumped into the part of the letter that Peter begins to kind of be a little more direct. And in verse number 11 and verse number 12 of chapter 2, we we found as uh Peter was talking about hope has decisions and consequences. We we learn that we are uh foreigners in this world. Our citizenship is not of this world. We are pilgrims. It's something that is temporary and it doesn't matter how long you live on this earth. It's still temporary. Uh 90 years as long as that might seem in our minds today compared to a million years is really nothing. It's 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 like it's like vapor that's here and gone the next second. I mean, it's it really is a, a very short amount of time. And that's why Peter reminds those that are reading this letter, those that have the hope of Christ in their life, just remember you you might be going through some difficult days, some trials and some suffering, but it's temporary. Uh, we're not living for this, uh, this life. We're living for a future life. And that is what the hope is all about, a future glory that we have. And and so because of that hope, we're to abstain from some things, right? From fleshly lusts, he says, which war against our souls. And we are to keep uh, a godly, honorable life. Having our conversation, says verse number 12, uh, if you'll notice, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Why? That they might glorify God on the day of visitation. And so We find that our hope uh, does have decisions and consequences. And now in verse number 13, what we're going to jump into today, uh, Peter begins to really put some some, uh, application, some practical things that we live out in our hope that we can see that others are to see our good works as we do them and glorify our Father. He, He talked about that in 11 and 12, and now he's saying, okay, So you you get the concept of what that hope means and and how that hope applies. So let's put it into practice into our life in certain situations. Now, of course, Peter cannot go through every situation in life and apply it. So that's why we're going to look at some principles today that he gives us uh, concerning our hope and government in our life and, and how verse 11 and 12 apply to that how hope in our life can apply to even something as practical as uh, the reality of government being in this world and in our life. Now, the hope we have as Christians will affect the here and now just as much as the future. Now, we've been talking about hope and defining hope as that future glory. But even though it's a future glory, it still affects what what we do and say today. It affects the here and now. It's not just a future reality that we can rejoice in when going through suffering. Uh, You know, whenever you're going through a difficult time in life, uh, I know. I at least try to remember. Hey, it's only going to be temporary. It's only going to be short, and, and and there will be this. This also shall pass. The, there'll be brighter days in life. There's going to be a a turning, and there's going to be something better ahead. Uh, just I just got to hold on and get through uh, this time. I, I just got to um, uh, be be faithful and 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 not give up hope during this trial, and uh, and and that is so true. Is going through the the trials of life. We, we can tend to think that way, but sometimes we can get to a point in our life where we think hope is only about the future and really not about the present, but our hope affects the here and now. It touches every area of life, including our relationship with others around us, including our relationship with government. It affects everything. You know, I was thinking about the hope and how it affects uh, everything throughout this week. And, you know, we're just coming out of the time of summer. This is really our first like coldish day that we've had. But normally in the summer, we like to go to the beach, right? And, um, and when you go to the beach, you're usually uh, out in the sun and uh, you're absorbing the, 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 uh, the sun's rays. And, and it's interesting because if you go to the beach, whether you're out in the open uh, and, and just sitting on a towel and sunbathing, or if you get under an umbrella, right, and, and you're in the shade, but you're at the beach, the sun's rays still affect us. For some, it, it, it starts turning us to a nice golden brown, and for others, to a nice bright lobster red, right? I mean, it's, but no matter what, even if you're in the towel or in the shade, the, the sun affects us, it, 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 it reaches us. And hope is much the same way as the rays of the sun. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter where you're at in life, hope affects you. It, it, it has something to connect with the present, and, and that's what Peter is driving at now in this part of the letter. He's he's really trying to get that into our focus, reminding us, yeah, we don't have a citizenship here, and and yeah, we're here only temporary, and. And yet, even though that's a reality, there's still part of our hope that, that requires us to live responsibly, even as citizens. Now, I'm sure that Paul or Peter was thinking as he was writing this, there's probably gonna be some people that say, well, if we're not citizens of this world and if we're just pilgrims, I mean, why do we really have to follow the government? Why, why do we have to get under civil authority? I mean, I thought you said we're not of this, this kingdom. And though that is true, Peter is saying, though that is true, we are not of this kingdom, the world's kingdom, yet living here as foreign residents, we are to come under, under the authority of the government, under the authority of this kingdom. So how do we do that? How does that really apply? How do we, how do we get under the authority of the government? And, and I can just say this morning, it's not easy to do no matter what country you live in. You know, there might be other uh, countries that look at America and say, man, if we just had that government, man, life would be different. It would be so much better. And some of us here in America go, well, if we could just have a different government, man, things would be so much better in this country. And and uh, and so it doesn't really matter if you're living here, or living somewhere else. There's not, there's not this one government that's just perfect. Uh, there's not one government that doesn't have flaws, that doesn't have... Uh, tragedies that happen. There's not one government or one country where that's not a reality. So Peter says, it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're in the Roman Empire as they were living in when they read this letter, when Peter wrote this letter, no matter if you're there or if you're in America in 2023, there is some responsibility that we have as Christians, as people with a living hope in, in our lives, as foreign residents, as pilgrims going through this life. There is some responsibilities that we have uh, to our government. Well, how does that work exactly? How does that apply? Well, I want you to notice this morning three principles of how our hope affects our everyday life in relation to especially government because that's what he's looking at right now specifically. Notice what he says in verse number 13. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor The king. I want you to notice, first of all, the first principle that Peter talks about in verse thirteen, and that is submitting ourselves to the authority. The first principle that we see, first responsibility of people that have hope of this future glory, living in a foreign land under a foreign government, is that we ought to submit ourselves to that authority. Now, the word submission here is the Greek word hypotasso, and it and it. It's a military term. So people that were reading this in Greek would have automatically thought of a military term of getting in order, right? Um, of the the, the um, Greek and, and Roman Empire were really big on this. They were known, of course, for their armies, for their, uh, for their uh, military uh, prowess. And uh, in the military, there are different ranks, and uh, and so as a soldier, if you're, uh, if you're under a, a major, then you're to follow the directions that the major has given you. Or if you're a major and you're under a general, then you follow the general. And, and there's these ranks in the military that you are to follow. There's authority, a, a ladder, if you will, that you are to follow. Well, what Peter is saying, he's saying those of us that are foreign residents in this land that are under a foreign government we are still to submit to that government. We're to get in order, all right? That government is above us. It has a higher ranking than we do. And so we are to get under the authority of that government. Now, this submission is not based on the fact that we just love all the laws that the government gives. Our submission is not based on if we agree with everything the law says. Our submission, you'll notice, is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we can't decide to submit to authority only when we like what the law says. For instance, the law says we ought to pay taxes. And the taxes kind of go up and down. If you live long enough, you'll you at some point pay higher taxes than you're paying now, and, and maybe they'll go down, but I doubt it. Uh, usually they 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 just keep going up. And And though that's not fun, although we don't like paying taxes, yet our responsibility is to submit to that authority. That's the government that we're living under. And Peter says, we ought to, as good citizens, do that. Not because we agree with taxes, but rather because that's the authority that is above us. And we are to submit, hypotasso, we are to get under the ranking of that. Now, what is it based on then, this submission? By the way, the word submission, we're gonna be studying it in a couple of weeks in a little bit more detail, but the word submission is a voluntary word. It's to bring yourself under willingly, all right? Not forcibly, that's subjection. It's not like when somebody you know, comes in and attacks a country and wins a war and now makes these uh, foreign citizens do something. That's subjugation. Submission is not the same. Submission is when we willingly come under the authority. So Peter is saying, don't wait till they arrest you for not paying taxes to start paying taxes. That's not being submissive. Being submissive is willingly coming under the authority of the government and following the laws that are set. Now, what is this based on if it's not on liking or agreeing the law with the law? It's based on the Lord's will. Notice that that Peter writes, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake. Okay, so it's it's based on the fact that the hope that we have is from the Lord, right? He's given us this hope. He is our foundation. And because of that, we are to willingly submit under the government because that's the Lord's will. That's what he wants his citizens of his kingdom to do while they're living in this kingdom. Does that make sense? We, we're here in the here and now. And yes, Jesus is on his throne, but he's in the heavens and he's not brought the kingdom to earth as he will one day. And by the way, what happened with Israel is just one step closer. I was reading this morning, Luke chapter um, 21. And if you get a chance today, you can read it. And, and uh, Jesus telling his disciples that this is going to happen and, and Jerusalem was gonna, is going to be coming under attack. And, and he says in verse uh, 28 of chapter 21, when you see these things beginning to happen, then look up for your redemption draweth near. You know, the, today is not a day of panic of what's going on in the Middle East. Today is a, a day of hope that that kingdom is coming soon. All right, it's it's, it's, it's our, our salvation is drawing nigh. But until then, the king of our kingdom says, submit, submit to the authority that is set before you. Why? This is, it's based on the Lord's will. You know, government is an institution that was created by God. This was not a man, government is not a man-made institution. In fact, uh, before God instituted government, you can read what happened between uh, Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 8. The Bible says that men did whatever was right in their own eyes. And so before there was government, uh, the conscience of men was being uh, ruled in their lives and their conscience, uh, according to Romans 1, it can get seared and the the, the conscience of people began to get seared and and now there was wickedness to the point that God said, I'm repentant that I even created man. And because of this, there was one man that was righteous before God, Noah and his family and God brought a flood and destroyed all of humanity other than Noah and his wife, his three sons and his three daughter-in-law. Eight people survived, and that was it. In chapter nine, as the population is growing again, then God instituted government to control evil. So the the, the institution of government is not a man-made thing. It's not, well, that's how empires got started. No, it's what God instituted so that he could control some of the evil that was going on. That's why Peter says in in verse number 14 that uh, the government's purpose is to punish those that are doing evil and praise those that are doing well. Now, I know that most of our governments don't act according to that principle and that rule, yet that was the purpose of it for why God created government. And so it's God's will that we come under and submit ourselves to this authority. In fact, when we submit to governments, we're actually doing what God's asking us to do. You're doing God's will by doing that. We're not doing man's will by submitting, but we're doing God's will. Now this submission, Peter says, extends from the head of the government. He says in verse 13, uh, to the king as supreme, and then verse 14, or unto the governors as to them that are sent. By who? By the king. So this extends from the head of the government all the way down into the local authorities. Uh, and so we, we might see the government uh, do a, or create a, a federal law that we may not uh, agree with, but, but then uh, we might see our local cities creating laws that we might not agree with or like very much. Yet, Peter says, you, you can't say, well, I'm just going to follow the federal government. I don't follow the local authorities. Peter says, this, this is all government. They are all ranked high above us. And so we are to submit willingly to even our local authorities. Now, I want to clarify something before somebody goes, uh, well, pastor, what about those laws like abortion? And that means we have to be and abide by that? Or how about the, 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 the laws of gay marriage? We got to follow that? No, Peter says that the authority of the government is to punish evil and do and praise what is well. When a government comes to a point where it's praising evil and asking you to follow that which is evil, then us as foreign citizens of a different kingdom must stand for what is right. Now, if you look, read in Acts chapter 5, the very same person that's writing this letter saying, Submit yourselves unto the ordinances of man, in chapter 5, verse 29 of the book of Acts, said, It is better to obey God rather than man. He's not being hypocritical by saying this. He's simply saying, when a government gets to a point where it's promoting immorality and it's promoting that which goes against God's word, then you are to stand with God and not with man. So this applies, for instance, in Exodus chapter one, when uh, the Egyptians were literally just throwing babies into the river to drown them. What did the midwives do? They began to hide them. Why? Because the government was clearly wrong on that. When uh, Daniel was faced with the Babylonian government saying, you have to eat this meat, what did Daniel do? He said, "I, I purposed in my heart not to contaminate myself with that. Now, he didn't make a big stink. He didn't have a big protest sign. He simply appealed to the government that was before him. And God heard his prayer and he was able to take a stand and God blessed him for that. The three friends of Daniel in Daniel chapter three, when uh, the government said, you have to worship this God. They said, we're not going to fall in worship. They said, we're not careful to answer you on this matter, King. Now there's other things we can help you with. We can, and they were part of the Babylonian government. They had uh, high positions in the government, these three friends by this time. They weren't just the average citizen. They were government officials. That's why it was a big deal that they weren't bowing down. Uh, even in today's world and culture, we know that leaders have a big influence on people, right? I mean, uh, if the leader's doing something wrong, then it's a lot easier for those under him to do something wrong and justify it, right? Uh, it's kind of like what happens when uh, they bust uh, uh, a judge that was uh, corrupt or uh, uh, um, you know, somebody in government that's taking bribes then suddenly we want to do the same thing. And we go, I mean, hey, so-and-so got away with it. Why can't we? And so the leadership has, it's an important role because it has influence. And yet these three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decided we're, we're not going to. So the submission to this government, what Peter's talking about is in general, okay? For the most part, if what they're asking you to do is not immoral, and it doesn't go against God's command, then we are to submit ourselves to it. Now, if it goes against God's command, then we are to stand where God's word stands. For instance, there are governments in this world that say, well, you cannot bring Bibles into this country. Well, our king says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're going to take Bibles to there because that's what God wants us to do. And those governments will answer to God one day. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 24. But we are to stand with God in those cases, but only in those cases. Right? I I, I heard about a man. Um, it's been years now that that was really um, really mad about taxes and decided he was a Christian man and said, "I'm not going to pay taxes. I don't think it's in the Constitution. I don't think it's." And by the way, he's like, sir, I think he's still serving time uh, in in prison. And I thought, where did you get that from? I mean, even Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And then to God, what is God's? But that is the line that you're going to draw when it comes submitting to the government. Is it immoral what they're asking me to do? Is it against God's commands? And if not, then we are to willingly come under it. Now, why are we willing, or supposed to willingly come under it? Why, why, why would the king of kings want us to do that? He has the power to overthrow and he will overthrow the kingdoms of this world. Why is he asking us to do that now? And this is the reason Peter says, look in verse um, number 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing by following the commands, by com, com, coming under the ordinances, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, submitting silences unbelievers. It does. Ignorant men there, the Greek phrase is really um, given the idea of those that don't have the hope in Christ, uh, those that uh, do not believe in the kingdom of God. This is to silence them. Now, this can only be accomplished when we do good works, even in the midst of governments that are not punishing evil, but promoting it. So when, when we're following the law as good citizens, even when there's a government that's promoting immorality or promoting what is wrong. When we stand and do what is right, then we silence the critics. We help unbelievers to see that this is not a political thing that we're standing for, but rather we're standing on the truth of what God's word says. Doing right and doing good is not a matter of the culture around us, but a decision that we make to stand and do right in spite of it. God wants us to submit under so that others might see him. So so you can look at it this way. People may differ with our politics, but they should never differ with our politeness. Okay, now people might get offended that you and I say gay marriage goes against God's word and God's plan. And it's an abomination before God. That does not give us a right to go and beat up someone that's gay. It doesn't give us a right to be mean and rude to them at a store. Okay. We're gonna learn that in verse number 17 of honoring all men, but that that doesn't give us the right to act a way that's contrary to what God says. Okay, so So we have to understand that we submit unto the ordinance why so that those unbelievers might be silenced by our good works by doing what god wants us to do even if there's a government that's not doing what god wants it to do now when we stop doing good based on the culture of the government's lack of restraint then we hurt the name of christ we do and I'm sure you guys are just as familiar as, as I am with different people that have called themselves Christians that really are hurting the cause of Christ by their actions and by what they're doing. Peter says that's, that's not what we're here to do. That's why our hope cannot be found in government. Our hope is not found on, well, if we just get the right leader in the White House, we'll be okay. Listen, we'll be okay when God's people that have hope just continue living and doing what is right. That's when we'll be okay. That's when a society really can impact others. It's not about finding the right local authority, the right guy to run here as mayor. Then everything's going to change. No. No, you know when things are gonna change here in Palmview when the people of Bethany Baptist Church change? When we do good in spite of what's going on in the culture? that's, That's when, by submitting ourselves to the ordinances, the authority, the laws of men. One, because it's based on, it's the Lord's will. And two, because that's how we silence unbelievers. That's how they can see the hope that we have. Number two, we are to live free under the authority. So we're to submit to the authority. That's one principle. Number two principle is live free. And this we find in verse number 16. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, this is quite the principle because it goes against what we sometimes think of freedom. Right here in America, for instance, we uh, we grew up and we learn about our history right and when we think about freedom we think about getting rid of that government england man they were they were oppressing us and they were taxing us and we got under that after the revolutionary war and sometimes the idea of freedom is having no restraint no government then we're free but the bible doesn't describe freedom as no government the absence of government because there's going to be government always in our existence Okay. While we're here on this earth, we have the local and the, the, the governments of this kingdom. But you know, when Jesus comes, we're still going to have a government that he's going to be the ruler of. We're still going to be under government okay, and a governor. So that's not the, the the answer. And that's why when Peter says live free, he's not saying live free uh, you know, from government or any kind of authority. What he is saying is, number one, live free from sin. See, Jesus spoke about freedom many times, and his teaching was that we have been made free from sin, free from the penalty of sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So when we have that hope of eternal life, we've been made free from the penalty of sin, which is death. But Jesus said our freedom is not only over the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. In Romans chapter 6, he says you don't have to let sin reign in your body, but you can yield yourselves to God and and have power over sin in your life. You can overcome temptation. You can overcome doing what is wrong. Why? Because we've been given the power. So we're free from the power of sin in our life. And one day we're going to be free from the presence of sin. That's when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom and and. Uh, and sin, uh, sin will be done away with. But until then, that's what we're waiting for. Right now, though, we have freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. So Peter is thinking of this. I'm sure he remembered Jesus' words. I put them in your notes there. And in John eight thirty six, when he's talking to his disciples, which Peter was one of, he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You see, freedom from sin is truly where you can feel joy and peace and enjoy the hope that you have when you're free from sin. If you're looking at your freedom and using your freedom to do sin, you'll have guilt, discouragement. You'll live in a constant depression all the time. That doesn't mean you won't get discouraged in life. That doesn't mean you won't get depressed in life. But listen, if you just stay there the rest of your life, then there's something wrong. Because that means as a Christian, you're not looking to the hope that brings joy. That gives strength during times of suffering. You're not living in freedom. That's why Peter says here, we ought to live as free. Freedom over sin, not to live in sin, but also not just a freedom from sin when he says, as we live free. That's why he said, not as a cloak of, of, of maliciousness. Not, that, that literally means not to hide sin. You, our freedom isn't so we can do whatever we want. I mean, after all, we're not of this world, so what does it matter? After all, I have eternal life, so what does it matter? That's not how we're to use the freedom. But we're used our freedom as servants of God free to serve. So as we come under the authority of the government, we submit ourselves because that's what God wants us to do. That's what our king has asked us to do in that it silences those that are unbelieving it it gives them a clear a uh, picture of what hope is and doing good works even in the midst of a culture and and in the midst of a of a place that is not doing that and then it also shows the freedom we're living we'll be living free free from doing wrong but also free in serving what is right free to live and do Christ's commands. That's what we're free to do. That's why uh, Paul said in Galatians 5.13, for brethren, ye have been called into liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So as free under this government, we are to love one another and serve one another because we're Christ's servants. So even under the authority of some someone or a government that is not godly, we can still live godly. How can you do that? Because we're free. So we're free from doing what is immoral and free to do what is moral. Freedom living is doing the will of our king simply because we're his servants. That's freedom living. That means we can love our enemies That means we can do good to them that persecute us. That means we can teach and exemplify the truth of God's word to others. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you do. So principle number two, living under a foreign government, one, we're supposed to submit ourselves. Number two, we're supposed to live free in that. Live free doing what is right, not what is wrong. Number three will be done. We are to honor, love, and fear. This we find in verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. These final principles connect with our actions towards government. First, we are to honor all men. This doesn't matter what nationality or race or political party that someone else is. We are to still honor them. Every human being is made in the image of God. And because of this, we are to honor them. Now, the word honor here is the Greek word to And it literally means to prize or to value. So we are to value people. To value them. We are to treat them with Respect, this is expressed in our attitude towards people as well as in our actions. We're to serve others and seek their well-being. We're to act with integrity towards others as well as in honesty and respect for them. So this goes into how we treat other people. Peter says you're to honor everyone. Honor all men. In other words, value them. That's why in Romans chapter 13, verse seven, Paul writes, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Number two, we are to love the brotherhood. Jesus told his disciples that all men would know that they were his followers if they were to love one another. Now, I think this is really interesting. Peter says we are to show respect, honor all men, but we are to love the brotherhood. Now that's not a mistake in writing. Why didn't he just write, we should love everyone? Because he's putting a distinction here. Now I can, I can. I can, and we ought to show respect to every person, even those that might disagree with the Bible, or even uh, not believe that God even exists, or or wanting to promote a a, uh, a lifestyle of sin. Uh, we can disagree with them, and we still so uh, respect that person as a person. But Peter says, "But when it comes to church, you ought to love the brotherhood, love the family of God." I think this is so important for us today because sometimes what we want to do is just honor one another in church and just love everybody else. But Peter did not say, well, you ought to just respect people at church and value their opinion. He says you ought to love them. See, when you love them, you can forgive them. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, tender-hearted forgiving one another even as Christ forgave you. See, when you have love, then you can apply what 1 Corinthians 13 says. You can be sacrificial, you can be long-suffering, you can be enduring, you can be encouraging. So Peter says love the brotherhood. Then he says, fear God. The word in Greek here is phobeo, and it means to have an awe or reverence for. We ought to have an awe and amazement towards God. But here's a difficulty in uh, in trying to catch this concept of fearing God. Because even though, it, yes, we should have an amazement and an awe towards God, this, this word also carries a frightening factor. Uh, we ought to... Fear God. And, and they use this word in, in the Greek. In fact, we use it in English uh, when we have phobias, right? That is an extreme fear of something, to be extremely frightened of something. And yet that's the, one that, the word that Peter used to describe fear God. We are to be in amazement and awe of God, a reverence for God and his holiness, but there also should be a little bit of fear of who God is and what he can do of his power and of his person. That's why we got to be very careful in our life to how much we try to lower God to. For instance, we live in a world that there are some people that say, oh, you know, the guy upstairs has been watching me. The guy upstairs? As if he's just some bum that walked to the upstairs of your house. Oh, you know, the guy in the sky, he's there. I ain't this guy. See, that's what Peter is saying. Fear God. Listen, even as Christians, there ought to be a healthy frightening of who God is in our life. Listen, we may not have the condemnation of sin no longer in our life, but we will be judged. You'll still be judged for what you did with the hope that was given to you. There's a parable, and and, and I know there's not a message on parables, but there's a parable that Jesus shared with his disciples of those that were given talents as this this tenant farmer went to a distant country and they were to use those talents and invest them. I I remember uh, reading, and I don't remember if it was maybe Charles Spurgeon or F.B. Meyer, one of those two, that said, I I have a constant fear of the day of judgment in my life. And the more that I ponder the fact that I will stand before God, as will you, there is a little bit of a frightening factor in that. What will he say? You know, that judgment before God isn't just going to be a bunch of roses and go, oh, you're so great. That's not what he did with those servants in the parable. He demanded of them, "What did they do with those talents?" Yeah. There was one man that said, "Well, you know, I mean, you you invest where you didn't really uh, work, and and you collect what you really didn't work for." So I just buried that talent, and he said, "Okay, give that talent to someone that invested for me, and cast that servant to outer darkness." In that same parable, you can read it. It's in uh, Luke, I think, chapter 19. I was reading it this morning. He, he, he says, and then there was others that didn't even want him as their king. And they didn't want them. And he says, bring them before me and execute them. And that's, I believe, talking of the final judgment, the ones that we've been liberated from. Yeah, We're not gonna be condemned in that judgment. We're still gonna be judged. And that's why Peter reminds us, we are to fear God. We're to understand that though we are in awe of him and his holiness, and though he is a friend to sinners, he is still our judge. That's why Proverbs twenty-three seventeen says, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Be in that awe and respect and reverence for God, but don't forget who he is. And then at the end, he puts honor the king. I love the way that Peter kind of writes this. He kind of closes this, this paragraph, this parenthesis, this thought, you if you will, by, by saying fear God, and then he kind of closes it with, and because you fear God, and if you fear God, you'll honor the king. Because that's really what he's been talking about in how we submit and how we live free. If the king is immoral, hateful, looking to persecute you, we still continue to show respect. Uh, I know there are many that our current president isn't one that we're a big fan of, nor the policies that he pushes. But we should still show respect. He's still the president of the United States. Uh, I would hope that if he were to walk through our doors at some point that we would all stand and just reverence for the position of the president of the United States. As a person that is in government that God allowed to be in that place. By the way, God can use and and fulfill his purposes with a really godly president or with a godless president. The Bible says in Proverbs, the heart of the king is in God's hands and he turneth it any way he wants. God used a wicked government like Babylon to teach some things to the religious people of Israel. In fact, Habakkuk, one of the prophets says, but but God, how can you do that? They're worse than we are. And God says, well, judgment's got to start somewhere. So it'll start at the house of God, with the people of God. So we can still honor the king no matter who that is. Why? Because we fear God. This morning, our hope has a lot to say and do when talking about how it connects to our relationship with the government. We're to submit ourselves, yet we are to live free, and we're to honor, love, and fear. So what I want to encourage you this morning with this message on is, if you're looking for government to solve everything, stop, because it ain't going to. It's not going to solve all the wrongs in this world. It's not going to make everything better. So then what do we do when government goes crazy? take a deeper look and a longer look at the hope that you have in Christ. That's what you do. You you can continue to live doing what is right to silence ignorant men. Those that say, oh, Christianity is a problem. You know know what I have found? Maybe you've seen the same thing. Wherever Christianity has flourished, there's been hospitals and there's been education and there's there's been a change in the way a culture acts and does. Now if that does, it silences. Our hope is not government, so let's not live like it is. What I want to challenge us to do is submit, live free, honor, love, and fear so that the hope of Jesus Christ, our living hope, shines as the rays of the sun and affects all those around us. I pray to God that we can do that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this letter of hope that was written to us and how that hope connects even in our relationship with the governments in our life. Father, I know that it's a trying time for many of us, for many that want to live and do your word and do your will. It seems like sometimes we are under a government that wants anything but that. And Father, it's easy to allow a spirit of rebellion to come into our lives and to just be hateful. But I pray that instead of that, we would submit. I pray that we would live so freely in the freedom that we have been given through Christ, that that freedom would... Silence those that don't believe that it would glorify our king. And Father, we would truly truly apply the principles of your word into our life in this area. So I pray that you give us wisdom and give us strength. I pray for our government today. I know this government is not all that we'd hoped it would be. Yet Father, I pray that you would be with those that are empowered to be looking to you. I pray that they would repent and find in you a hope and a salvation that is life-changing. I pray for those that have received that hope in our government. I pray that you give them the strength to continue to stand for what is right and to do what is right. Then give us as citizens of your kingdom, the same grace that we need so that we might also apply these principles into our life. We might live them out. Be with us, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen.